Hello, and welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Sean Decker, and I'd like you to hear something. You're hearing SMH City by Teenage Halloween, featuring my pal Luke Hendricks on guitar and vocals. Check out their new album on Don Giovanni now. Long Branch, New Jersey. Um, I am the oldest of two siblings. Um, my younger sibling is four years apart from me, but younger. And my family life was very, um, very interesting and complicated. But overall, overall wasn't the most horrible thing. Um, I had lived in Ocean Court, New Jersey, for a little bit, and then when I turned one or two I moved to Ocean Township, New Jersey. And this is all like suburbs of the Asbury Park area. And it is um and it was definitely weird growing up as a like closeted queer person because this area is very um right wing and the um and the space that I inhabited was very um was very based in suppression and a lot of um a lot of the youth around here have dealt with a lot of that because it's um a sports town, a lot of um Italian American immigrants and like my my family is some of that and there's a lot of um I don't know, there's a lot of deep seated um deep seated and strong feelings that make suppression very um very common. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I um I enjoy I enjoy where I live. I live um in I live about ten minutes from the beach, right on the Atlantic Ocean. Um it's very nice to have that because it's very like very nice and peaceful and there's definitely a lot of um there's definitely a lot of um ups and downs to this area being a tourist place, but also on top of that being a um being a really artistic place where there's a lot of creativity and stuff. And because it's a suburb or a smaller city, it's a little less, it's a little less like accounted for online. And it feels, and it feels cool to talk about that. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you get along with your sibling when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. My sibling is in a hardcore band too. Oh yeah. And, um, What's the band called? Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, 
they're in a they're in a punk band called Program with my my best friend Brian and they um and they're like we kind of have always had the same interests. Um, we have our our little our little spats like all siblings do, but they're one of my best friends. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. What kind of what kind of music played around the house when you were growing up? Um, when we were young, we listened to a lot of like the Beatles, Steely Dan, The Grateful Dead. Um, Did that come from your parents? Of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My my parents were very into classic rock, and um, my my mom was into a lot of like alt country and like pop, and my dad was into like my dad was really into like jazz music. So there was like there was definitely like on top of like the classic rock middle ground, there's different different sides of the spectrum, like a ten thousand maniacs and the cranberries, but then um there was like Sella Kuti and um the weather report. So mm. over so definitely um definitely a lot of like musical diversity around my home when I was young and that is something that definitely got my sibling and I really, really into making like like abnormal music by listening to just different kinds of music in our youth. Um, my upbringing was by no means um, like incredible, but I there definitely is a lot of um, there's definitely a lot of like artistic realms that we entered when we were very young because that our family was into that. Yeah. So, did you play um, instruments in school or? Um, I, the first, first instrument I tried to play was the saxophone. I only did it for a month and I couldn't really practice it at my house because there's a lot of work that happens at home with my parents when I was young. So the saxophone was incredibly loud. So yeah. on top of it being, <laughs> on top of it being an instrument that I'm not like, that I wasn't like really passionate about. It also was like just very loud and wasn't like an easy one to have just around. So I, my mom had a friend that was a guitar player and he came to my house and gave me guitar lessons. And with that, I, I was maybe like, I was like 13, maybe 12. And I, I did a lot of my youth. I was doing like martial arts and stuff like that. And like wrestling and like school sports, because of that's like, what my parents knew best in terms of like subjecting me to. Mm -hmm. And, and I, once I played guitar, that was over. I, I got a lot more lazy and a lot more creative. <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah, no, it was, um, it's, it was very, very good. I wasn't, um, I was much less into like physical activity when I started playing guitar because that guitar was like, really inspiring to me and then i started playing bass after that and drums after that and then yeah that's yeah that's what yeah. i do yeah before you started playing instruments though you said you did a lot of sports now were you into the sports at the time or did you feel like that was just something like you know you you um uh, you mentioned a closeted experience and I feel like a lot yeah, of times yeah, no, it was very, very nihilistic. Yeah. It's like, I feel like a lot of, sometimes a lot of that stuff goes in, hand in hand when you're, you know, when you're just trying to figure out what's going on inside yourself. And so you just, 
You're like, yeah. well, what, what does everybody else do? They play sports. They do this. And, yeah. you know, also if your parents were like pushing you in that direction. So, I mean, did you take like any satisfaction out of it while you're doing it? Or you're just as like, this is what people do or. Um, I think that I immersed myself in it with, um, with the idea of maybe if I just subject myself to this enough, um, I can, I can just like, I can just be and kind of just, um, kind of just like slowly enjoy it more and more. Yeah. But it ended up being, it ended up being something that I feel like I started to resent more just due to the people that I would do it with and stuff. And I think that, I think that the fact that I, um, I think that the fact that I like personally stopped doing it was a really healthy step to take before I even gained any maturity. Yeah. Yeah. So once you started playing guitar, you know, and this, I mean, it's a similar story for me. Like once I started playing guitar, I was just like, that's all I want to do. Even though before that I was like skateboarding, which I, I actually really enjoyed, but it was just like, I had to make a choice. But, um, in your case, like mm-hmm. you started playing guitar, and um, then it was just like the you know the lights flicked on, and it was time to go. Um, what was what was your first guitar? Um, my first guitar was a Fender Starcaster from Target. Oh, okay. They sold guitars and at Target by you. Yeah, it was okay. either Target or Walmart, but okay. it was but there was a Fender Starcaster. And that um that was like there was like really awesome ones that are like semi hollow, but the one I got was like the the less than squire strat. Okay. And it was like it was very, very um very good for what it was and I definitely loved it a whole lot. And then the second guitar I got was a um I got an Epiphone Wilshire. Oh, I th- those look so nice. Yeah, they're awesome. They were only they're only like four fifty or five hundred. Yeah, and they were like, and like that's unfortunately good for like guitars. And I I loved it. I was I was really into that. Where do you think those sit? Like between do they sit kind of like right between an SG and and a Les Paul? Like sound wise, do you think or? I would actually compare it to a Telecaster. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, I just think really they look twangy. really cool. I've never played one. <laughs> it's really twangy and it's light. And I um I really enjoyed it. And then I accidentally dropped it down the stairs and then that was done because the a lot of the Epiphone and Gibson things have set necks. Mm-hmm. So if you break the neck in half, you just don't have the guitar anymore. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine in high school, like, uh, her boyfriend stepped on the neck of her guitar and it was like a really nice and mm-hmm. that's the first time you know i heard about oh these you know these are supposed to break like really easy for whatever yeah reason. yeah like, no like, gibson's like notorious for that i guess but uh yeah i don't know i've i i ha- i just have like i've never had like i've just had epiphone you know it's like the top Ooh. of the line that I've ever gone. But um yeah, I've had my Epiphone SG for uh my partner bought it for me um when we started the band Acamele. 
uh, she bought it for me. And uh, very cool. It's like 250 bucks, and I've had it since then. And I do not take it to shows. Like it's, I know it's only like a 250 dollars guitar, but I, I like do not play it at shows. <laughs> I don't take it. No, out. that's yeah. so awesome. Uh, yeah, but, the Epiphone uh, stuff rules. Honestly, I um, I never had any Gibson stuff, but I like the Epiphone stuff that I had was great. Like it sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's. There's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of people that I know a lot more about it than me, you know, but there's like, with every company, there's like sweet spots for like when they were built and like how they were built, you know, and stuff like that. And I, you know, I think, um, I think that my partner at the time, uh, I think, well, I mean, she's, she's still my partner, but uh, I think at the time, like at that time, yeah, at that time, she was like conferring with like a bandmate that knew a lot more about that stuff. And, and was like, I want to make sure that this is the one that they want and stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, st I still have it. I, I love it. I mean, SGs are my favorite. I always, I was like messing around with other kinds of guitars, you know? Um, but, um, and yeah, those, those Wilshires look really cool. I also like the way those Wildcats looked. Um, yeah, you know, I actually right now, like speaking of SG style guitars, I actually right now the main guitar that I've been I've been playing is that Dan Armstrong Ampeg. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's like the it's the guitar that it's like the guitar version of the bass that Justin Pearson uses. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like, but well, I have the reissue, so I got it for a lot cheaper. Those things are usually like like a, a whole lot of money and I got like a really cheap one and it's amazing. It's like the lightest guitar I've ever played. And it's, um, it's just, um, it's really SG like, but it's like incredibly light and thin. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so how, um, you said you're, you said you're about 13 or at least that that's the last number. I, I remember you're talking about when you're about 13. Um, were you, what kind of stuff were you listening to, like, primarily when you started playing guitar? Like, what were you, you were like, I want to learn um, how to play, like, Nirvana. this person. Nirvana? Yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. Um, a whole lot of Nirvana, Black Flag. Um, I really like Nirvana and Black Flag. I really liked, um, I really liked Bunhole Surfers. Um, I liked, um, I liked the Kinks a lot. And I liked Elliot Smith a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you kind of like immediately fantasizing about, about like starting bands and playing in bands and stuff? Um. Yeah. No, I've always wanted to do that. It, it always felt like the. It always felt like a dream. I mean, I, when I was younger, my priorities for being in a band were a lot more like like as a lot of young people are like a lot more materialistic and less about like, like having like really genuine connections and friendships along the way. Like my, my, my thoughts when I was 13 were just about like partying, but yeah, no, I think I always thought about being in a band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that was like, <laughs> that was like the, um, that was like the coolest shit to me. And I feel like no one else was doing it near me. When I was at that age, like everyone else was like, "Oh, that's stupid. You should like study." And I, I feel like that was like, um, 
I feel like that was definitely like my aspiration. It always was non-academic for some reason. And it, it just, I don't know. It kind of felt right that way for me because I, I literally just found out that like a year ago that I have ADHD and ADD mm-hmm. and it explained a whole lot about my childhood. Yeah. 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 No. So I was like, the minute I found that out, I was like, oh shit. Then I, I definitely like was not a school person for a reason. Like I was like very not about sitting in a chair and learning about things I wasn't interested in. Instead, I kind of just like obsessed over art. Yeah. Do, did you, um, like what kind of, uh, what do you mean obsessed over art? Did you, did you like, um, participate in uh, visual art and stuff a lot like growing up as well um when i was young a lot more yeah and but i actually like like i was really obsessing over music but Mm. yeah there my grandfather was an artist and um a lot of my a lot of like the times i would go there i would like watch him paint or like just like draw things and like that was another thing that was like really crucial to me i was like I, i was doing art for bands over quarantine a little bit and it was like the first time I jumped back into it in like the longest time ever. And yeah, no, that was like really crucial to me too. Like just drawing and like, um, being, um, like just like trying to like manifest in art instead of, um, like, instead of like the kind of like the like jobs that are societally accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's, um, was your sibling um, following like a similar path? Like, although they were like, yeah, four yeah, years younger definitely. Than you, were We're, they also starting like, hey, I want to play guitar too, you know? Or... Yeah, they started as a drummer, and they um they actually are like into way weirder shit than me. So they they <laughs> were definitely like they were definitely like listening to like much much more rad music than I did when I was at that age, and they were like. Cause they showed, they showed me Flipper and my mind was blown. Like, like, um, they were really into like Flipper, the Jesus loser, the urinals, all those like really like sloppy, like off kilter punk bands. Mm -hmm. And they showed me a lot of that stuff. And I was like, I was really into it. Like they, they literally were showing me that shit when they were like 14. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Um, I was in a band with some folks, uh, that were good friends with the uh, band Flipper. And so, like, I ended up in this band, like, when I was just right out of high school and playing with that band. And it was this band. Cool. This band, like, it was, like, one of these things. And, uh, yeah, wild, wild stuff. Um, I mean. They're good, yeah. yeah. I, I really like that one record that, um, the, like, I think it was a Yellow album. I mean, it's like generic flipper or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's awesome. There was so much like, I don't really know anything about them, but I, I did love that. Like, I love the bass playing in that band. Yeah. I honestly don't, I honestly don't know very much about them either. This band that I yeah. played in, you know, this was like a very long time ago for me now. And, um, cool. it's a, it was like a really like formidable experience for me and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, like, there's, so, 
in like the couple tours I went on, there was just so much wild shit like condensed into just these very small amounts of time. Like I, I don't really, you know. <laughs> uh, oh no, definitely. I With your sibling when you're when you're coming up, or did you? Yeah, uh, yeah, we still we still do. Yeah. So you're like yeah, no, we still. You're like ten and fourteen, respectively, or something like that, and you're and just just like point, jamming some Nirvana songs or something like that. Yeah, literally. Yeah, we were um, we still um, jam sometimes and like write with each other, like for each other's projects, like. Like, like, we'll jam out a song that they're, like, trying to write for their band. And then, like, they'll, like, it'll, like, and it's, like, the same with me. And it'll kind of, like, we'll kind of creatively help each other just, oh, like, on the side. That's awesome. Like, springboards. Just, like. Yeah, you know. no, it's great. We sometimes try each other's songs on each other and, like, see how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of, like, a fun thing we do at times. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it I... is, yeah. It, 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 it feels it feels good. Like we're we're definitely like at that level of closeness where like we get in a lot of bullshit, but we are definitely always like trying to jam or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So what um, what was it like when you started the first band you ever played in? Like where it was like more you know serious and you're writing your own songs. Um, I would say. Because I was in some bands before Teenage Halloween, but it was they were, and and a lot of the people I played with are like my some of my best friends to this day. But I would definitely consider Teenage Halloween as the band that I was like first writing a bunch of songs with, because that like because like the the bands before then we were they like like I was in a band that was like more jammy and that was like really fun. And then a band that was like kind of like a folk punk type thing that I that's quite regrettable to the both of us that we don't really talk about. <laughs> and and um and but like overall like Teenage Halloween was probably the band that I like was first really like discovering myself as a musician. And so I I kind of like I played 
I played a whole lot with a lot of my friends at that band for a long time. And then over time, we started formulating into a more um, a more set lineup of of people, and that definitely ended up being like really formative for me to like have that experience of like community with my friends through that project. Right. Right. Yeah. And then um, we, and then like years after she did Halloween. I started kissing up with my good friends, and that was also like that was like that was literally the second the second band that I was in after a teenage album for like four years. That's awesome. Well, it's two, yeah, two, so, you know, two really good and like you know, like promising projects. You know, it's just something to be like excited yeah. about for sure. Um, how? Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, how? How? Um. What was it like the first time when you, like, played a show? Um, I was lucky enough that, like, my really cringy first band got booked on a sold-out show as our first show. Okay. And we like were... Like, sold out how many, how many... Like, how big was Like, five, four or five hundred people. Oh, wow. Um... And it was because of my friend that was that cleaned the popcorn after the movies in the local theater okay. was in a band that was really popular. And they they were looking for a band of people like near our age that would want to open for them. And I remember I was like I was like, Hell yeah, I got a band, but I really didn't. I totally lied. So <laughs> my friend and I started up a started up a folk punk band and wrote songs the week before and we're reading lyrics on stage and stuff mm-hmm. on a sold out show. It was a complete train wreck. Like no one really, um, no, definitely no one believed in me for a long time because of those early projects when I was like 14 and 15. But that was, it was wild to like the first show. Oh my phone, I'm sorry. No problem. The first show I ever played sold out, and it was really weird. And definitely added five times more anxiety than I even could have fathomed. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, it was um, it was cool. It reminded like the the most vivid memory of that show was like like really nervous before playing, and like being with some of my best friends from high school. Singing Birdhouse in Your Soul. Okay. Like, like they might be giants, but yeah, like yeah, outside. Yeah. Like hanging out and just like singing that song and being like, it's going to be all right. Let's just like wing this shit. It's going to be horrible. And we got to all just be aware of that. And no, it was good. It felt very good to, felt very good to do that. But then over time, we started, um, all of my bands when I was young started like trying to play shows at unconventional spaces because we felt like we weren't good enough to play at venues. So we would like ask, we would be calling everyone around town asking if they would just like have us play and like if we could like bring our friends there and book bands from out of town. And we ended up like getting a couple coffee shops to be down and like couple real, real shit show trial runs at some places. 
and yeah, no, we we definitely grew up in the with the DIY mindset because yeah. we were just like very not um, very not accustomed to being asked to do anything. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, you know, after your first show, and you know, you described it as kind of a nightmare, like in front of like tons and tons of people. Were you, nightmare, yeah, like, yeah, nightmare, you, I believe. <laughs> after after that, so when you go and you're playing to like, you know, like fifty or something people, then you're probably like, oh gosh, this is great. Like, yeah, as I opposed to most... you know, as opposed to people who expect to play for tons of people all the time. And then, oh um, yeah, no yeah. way. We were like, we were like, yeah, we fucking suck. We we really scored there, and then like never played a show that big again for like five years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were like, definitely like, very um, we were we were very um into that kind of like weird shit. I don't know. Yeah. What's the weirdest place that you played? Um, the weirdest place that we played was, um, like, the, like when we're young or just on tour? Like just what, wherever. Oh, wherever? Yeah, I played a, oh, yeah, no, this was a great memory, but I was very, very on drugs at the time. But oh, okay. it was, um, yeah, yeah, it was, um, weird times, but I, I was on, um, I went on an acoustic tour so I could go to a friend's house and get drunk. And that, and yeah, that's what you do when you're like, you just graduate high school. But yeah, I I did um, I I went and played in State College, Pennsylvania. Um, my good friend was like said that he he would um, my good friend at the time, not a not a yeah, like that's a long story. But they they said that like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a show, and. Um, it's going to be at a laundromat in town. Okay. Um, this, this is a 24-hour laundromat that has no workers. That is ran by the the Penn State, um, by the Penn State, like, um, just town, like State College. Yeah. Um, we were, we were told to show up at nine, and all of the, all of our friends showed up and we're like, all right, let's do it. And it was acoustic, so I and I like was on an acoustic tour. And I I don't when I play acoustic, I don't play with mics. But it was a um a show where we just played and no one knew about it. And then every time someone that might work at the laundromat came in, I was supposed to hide my guitar. <laughs> How were you supposed to and know? They they there there was someone on lookout. Oh, okay. Yeah, while while I was playing and um I thought that was great. I was that's my that's my vibe. So I was um I was really into it. But yeah, that's the weirdest thing I ever did. 'Cause I would I to to this day I think an impromptu show in a college's laundromat is probably the weirdest thing. Besides the time the the only other time that it was wild is we broke into a classroom after hours. Because someone at New Paltz had a key to the class because they like did something mm-hmm. there, 
and we just played in SUNY New Pulse in a classroom after hours. And then the student student guards shut us down. Wow. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, as long as it all worked out in the end. But uh, Yeah, when you're young, you ask so much less questions. It's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's um, like from 18 to 20 for me, like I just like, would play a show because it seemed fun. And, like, I'm, I still do that, but it's, like, I at least ask about, like, is everyone going to be safe here? Is this show allowed to happen? Et cetera. Yeah. But, like, back then, it would just kind of be like, oh, cool, sounds great, I'm down. Well, it, you know, and another thing is, like, until you've had those couple of experiences, you might not even think, like, you might consider those things a given. You might not think to ask those questions. You might just automatically yeah. assume that... <laughs> The, everything is, you know, above board and, and everything's, like, allowed to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know? But once you have those Because I was always the youngest. Yeah. You're definitely going to ask. Yeah, like, like <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just like when, you know, after you show up to your first show and there's no PA, you know, then you're you're going to start asking those questions. Like, the, and there's going to be a PA there? Yeah, yeah. Like that, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's weird because it's like, you don't want to... Um, you don't want to seem like you expect too much of people, but it's definitely good to ask like the bare bones questions. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, cause I, um, I, I, my, my faith in DIY was restored because in recent years I was, I was hosting shows in Long Branch's Caribbean restaurant where it was like ran by a family mm-hmm. that, um, that lives in Long Branch and they, let us just set up sound and have tongue shows. And they would say that it's restaurant events and they would take very small cuts. And it was just kind of like for people to like eat food and stuff and hang out. Uh-huh. And yeah, like my, my thing was restored with that. Like I was so, so excited about, I love unconventional spaces. It's like what keeps me going, but obviously it's like they're running thinner and thinner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after all this, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So, yeah, be. there is a there's a part of me that believes that we actually like DIY as a whole might like like priorities might change and things might be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll just, you know, we'll we'll have to be around and find out, but um yeah, well, yeah, that um, feeling is very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um what what was the uh, first time that you were in a recording environment? What was that like? Um, yeah, I record the first teenage Halloween recording. Pretty much was, and we it was good. We, um, we were we were partying a lot more than we should, and like at a studio, we were, or you were um, doing it like at a friend's. Or? At a studio, yeah, because okay. it was um uh, Sundays. There, there'd be like the School of Audio Engineering in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something. It's a S A E or something, okay. and it's um, it, the studio would be closed for like students to use, and not classes on Sundays. And we would party there and record our first EP, and it was it was cool. It was just very um, it was definitely like a really weird experience. Like I freaked out when I realized that I it was just me and my voice. With like a mic, oh, and like, like just like feeling, 
Like hearing like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not. It was not okay. That was like. That was like. Um, that was one of the funniest feelings I think I've ever had. When it's yeah. like, oh, like I'm usually yelling live. It doesn't really like matter, but now it's like you have to sing well, or the record will, or the record won't come out like you want it to. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of had to like listen in on my voice and stuff, accept feedback, which is like a very real thing about studio recording, like being like told that you have to redo a take because that was not good. Yeah. Well, I thought you were, I thought you were also referring to the fact that like, um, if anybody else is in like the room with you, they may not hear the music at all. Like they may just be hearing you just yelling. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, that's, that's its own world. That's like its, that. Yeah, and that's like a thing. That's the thing that makes you feel real shy too. And then you, you just you have to get over that, you know, because you you need to be like Definitely. belting these things out. And and you're, you know, like I do this all the time in my house. And like my kids are upstairs watching Ninjago or something, and I'm downstairs, cool. you know, uh, screaming and and uh, you know it's it's. It's like my kids know, like, oh, that's just whatever, that's just, just what they do. But I, you know, always thought about back to like the first time when I was at a home studio and I'm in someone's basement, just like screaming, and their kids are upstairs, and that's all they hear. Of course, they're used to it, but that gets like in your head, you know? Like, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Also, it's like. I, I yeah I haven't told you this Ollie. I really like your songs they're really good oh thank you um Coma Regalia is amazing and um I'm it's really awesome that you like it's really awesome that you do a lot of your recording on your own and I feel like it really sounds good for the music you write well, thank you thank you yeah I um, um I was also I was just listening to to the uh, newest uh, teenage Halloween album and uh, like you really like knocked it out of the park i i mean it's um there's a whole lot going on and it's all like very well presented and like balanced and yeah it's it's really good um yeah thank you i would just consider it a sad one (laughs) a sad one (laughs) yeah sad record i mean i'm um i'm feeling good i i i'm gonna say not to sound full or anything i really do feel proud and good about my performance because I really did try my best. Yeah. So it feels, I've never had music besides like the last like Teenage Halloween and Kissy's thing. And like my other band, Magic Relin, I haven't had music where I felt super like good about in a long time. So it's really a breath of fresh air to be putting out records that I'm like at least like comfortable hearing back. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm I'm feeling good about it because I think it's like it's a level of vulnerability lyrically that I really wanted to have for a while, and I feel like it like I feel like it shares it in like a catchy punk way, which feels very good. Yeah, like I I I love screamo and hardcore, but like it feels especially good right now to be able to share like ideas and like 
radical thoughts in like a way that's like palatable for people that aren't exactly accustomed to it to hear. Sure. Yeah. Um, and because I, I love like heavy music, but it's definitely like, even though it has its um real shit, I, I think that it's like, I think that it's like an overall agreement that it is like a, a genre and vulnerability. And I feel like having like a, making like a rock record that I, I think encompasses the lyrics that a heavy band would have feels very, um, feels very good because I feel like it's like, I feel like it's like, um, I feel like I'm able to like really share like very vulnerable and close to home feelings that I personally have with like maybe like some random bro that's just trying to listen to a rock record. Oh no, I get, I totally understand. And I have, um, you know, I have, um, a project called Matterfield, which is just like, it sounds like, you know, if Lifetime had like a more gruff singer, um, Oh, and, I love Lifetime, yeah. And, uh, you know, on that, on that, you know, album, I talk about a lot of things that would just, you know, it's, no one would bat an eye, you know, under like whatever other circumstances. But yeah, it's like, it's like when Propagandi, you know, talks about like, um, you know, when Chris talks about he and his friend fucking each other when they're little, and you imagine like the, all the bros, you know, like, you know, um, in the circle pit, you know, to this song, it's like a different, um, it's, it feels very, um, uh, um, ah, shit. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, sub subversive. Yeah, I definitely. I, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, it's one of the it's one of the most fulfilling but creepy feelings. Um, but it, it's like to just like share stuff like that. Mm -hmm. there was a need for you to be very like like did you choose like very plain ways to describe or like to like vocalize your ideas in a, in a way that you wouldn't in kissies or or whatever like did you were you like i'm um, just gonna come out and say it and not like dress it up uh you know in i mean yeah i would i would say that i also feel like the um I feel like because of like 
the average listener can hear what I'm saying a little bit more. Right. And if I'm playing in a band like Sissies, it, it definitely is like, it definitely is its own plus. Because mm-hmm. in Teenage Halloween, I think, I feel like I sing about more like feelings about like current political states and climate and like feelings about like, like, like how like it can be anarchist to liberate yourself from personal issues that hold you down. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Kissy, it's like a lot more confrontational. And like, I love that. And that's like a part of me that feels very, um, that feels very like in need to speak. And like with, like, it feels like Teenage Halloween is a lot more of like a, you, um, you're hearing what really holds me back than like what I really want to like yell at you about kind of thing. Yeah. And I feel like the, I feel like the important thing for me is that both bands have that low boundaries of like what I sing about because it makes both bands feel equally as important to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, I've, I've found it very, you know, it's been very important for me to like have different, you know, outlets. I guess you know. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it's like, well, is it a different outlet? Because I mean, you're still playing guitar, you're still yelling or whatever. But it's just like, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's just it's you're channeling a different part of yourself, or you're just you know you're going about something a different way. You, you know, expressing yourself in a way that. One thing makes you feel comfortable doing, and the other doesn't. You know, it's, it's really, it's really. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and also it's like right now is like a time for me personally where I'm really having trouble feeling like I do not pass in terms of my gender identity. So right now, being able to put out music and personally talk about what I'm going through is um, very therapeutic for me in a time where there's not a lot of outlets. Yeah. Do you mean pass as in like, like societally, you... like if someone looks at you and they assume your gender immediately based on, um, based on like features. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really, um, it's like, a, it's like kind of like a, a feeling that I'm struggling with lately because sometimes you wake up and you just don't want to dress. Like you don't want to overdo the way you dress just because that you want to be perceived in a different way and you just like nihilistically get out of bed and like go into society and I feel like that's right now I'm struggling with like the drive to like have the level of comfort that I need and I feel like putting out like records and music and just like being like a nerd at home is really getting me through this right now like just being able to like talk about that stuff yeah yeah for sure. Well, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna say I didn't know what you meant, like by, by past, you know, um, until you like were explaining it. But it's like there's a certain, you know, there's a certain part of me, you know, that's always gonna feel like this is so subjective, you know, like, and yeah, absolutely, you know. So it's kind of like uh, almost like. You know, there's certain certain outlets you have that are almost like they feel like the only way. You know, you have to like direct, directly control like your 
you know, your um, stance on, on your, where you're at as a person, you know. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, I think a lot of people are, are connecting with that, like, whether it's, like, expressing themselves through music or just, like, you know, listening to music as well. Um, yeah, um, what was I going to... Uh, I was, uh, <laughs> I feel like I was, I was on a, another, I was on like a, uh, follow-up to this train of thought and now I'm not, I'm not sure what that was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's cool. Honestly, like we're, we're just, we're just, we're just talking here. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whenever, whenever. Yeah. yeah thank I mean, you so much also for, for this. This is really, this is really nice. I, I really have been enjoying the, um, I've really been enjoying the fact that like, there's a lot more like interactive activity in DIY right now, and like punk itself, where like it's like it's it's feeling a lot more personal right now. It's 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 really nice. It's um, it feels like it's not just going to a show to get the gratification of like emotional liberation. And I feel like right now, like being able to like talk, like being able to like listen to artists talk to other artists and stuff like that is definitely creating solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if I've talked about, you know, this before, but it, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I started Coma Regalia because I was having so like my anxiety was just like in control of my life. And I just decided that like, I was going to make myself do these, th- you know, like I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, it was, I couldn't even um, drive on the interstate. Like I couldn't. And um, I was like, what? I mean, I have to decide, am I going to do this or am I going to live the rest of my life and I'm never going to do this again? So I just, yeah. I had to put myself out there and, so I started this podcast for like similar reasons, you know, because I felt like I, I was meeting people, but I wasn't necessarily communicating with people. And, um, you know, I thought this was going to be an interesting, you know, exercise in, in that. And it's, um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's wild. Like when, when I've like, it's, it's, it's a lot more work than people might think or whatever, but like, it's, it's awesome how many times when I am having a conversation with somebody that I've not had a lot of time uh, with, or, you know, like in your case, like we've, this is the first time we've ever spoken. And yeah. Then, I haven't heard your voice for shit ever. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, afterwards I, I get off the phone and I'm like, I feel pretty good, you know? So I think, Hopefully, good, yeah. people that are on the other end of the line, or people that listen, you know, can can get something out of that as well. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I when I was listening to the newest album, I I hope you don't hate this comparison. Sometimes I think no, my no, comparisons cool. come out of nowhere. But I was like, this is like if Dillinger Four and Meatloaf made a record together. Very, was, that's great. That, that that is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a really rocking chubby kid, so I love meatloaf. That's oh. it, <laughs> well, I I mean I just felt like yeah, there, 
I, it has this like spunk and it's obviously, you know, like a, a really like punky like sounding album. And, um, but there's something else to it. You know, there's something very theatrical that it felt very theatrical. It felt very, um, you know, like just it almost, you know, like a, like a play, you know, or it feels yeah, very, yeah. very put on. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that about it. And, you know, there's so much going on, like there's, um, brass instruments and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So like what was recording that album like, um, as opposed to like your it, other albums, it had to be more time and just monumentally different. Yeah. Just like, um, walk us there was that. a lot of, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot more stress because that we really wanted to put out the best thing we could. Um, there is a level of, I think we are all good musicians that play well together. So I do want to have a couple really masturbatory moments playing where it's like theatrical, like you said, like where it's just like, kind of like, just really like, really pushing onto itself, you know, like really just trying to like, trying to like do something that's like, I don't know, like guitar solos are so cringe. But we felt like this record just, like, really needed a couple. Because it's just, we wanted to, like, we really wanted to just, like, have, like, a moment of, um, we really wanted to have a moment of companionship in there. Like, we really thought that this thing was going to be just this fun but sad thing that we all felt. So, I, it was, it was good. So it, I, I understand that comparison completely. Because I do really like bands like Dillinger 4 and, like, the Lawrence Arms and, um, Martha, if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, the Bananas, like, all those kind of bands. And we um, we wanted to make a... Um, we wanted to make a record that was like that, with, like, that whole, like, yeah, with that, like, Meatloaf Queen, um, all of those, like, rock band energy. Because, like, I don't know, like, our lead guitarist, Eli, like, a lot of, a lot of that tone definitely reminds me of, like, those, like, theatrical classic rock bands on top of, like, the keys, because, like, those two things definitely, like, mesh to be, like, a... to make it more of, like, a rock and roll record. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it definitely feels... It feels good, and the, the recording process was stressful in a way of putting out the best thing we could, but it was one of the most rewarding things for all of us because we, we listened back at this stuff, and we were like, all right, like, this is the best we're going to do, so we need to not overthink this thing and just like like revisit it and just understand that like we have been stretching for a long time today and we need like we need to just relax and realize that like we did what we could yeah did you go to a big place and do like several days or yeah we it wasn't it was a warehouse that like one of my best friends records bands out of like he recorded um he recorded like Algernon Cadwallader. Okay. There. And like um like Mannequin Pussy got recorded there. Um Choice Manners and some stuff in the other buildings with like our friend helping out. Like like a lot of like bands we really like. And it's a um it's it's rad because that we we were in a um we were in this warehouse that had a bunch of bunch of other punk records and had like a like kind of like a punk legacy to it so it felt really inspiring to be in a place where a lot of other artists we really liked 
and respect were um, were also recording records. It kind of humanized the process a lot more. Um, it was very nerve-wracking for me to record at a studio again because it was a while since I have. And Evan is... Our friend Evan, who runs it, is super understanding, super um, super patient. Um, while we were recording there, Solo lived there, too, like, at that warehouse. So they oh. were like, yeah, yeah. So there would be, like, you would hear, like, Solo practice or, like, Palm practice in between, like, um, in between, like, tracking. So it was just, like, the most wild thing <laughs> of, like, bands like Solo and Palm, who are both, like, incredibly good bands, would just be, like, would just be, like, jamming there, like, in between us doing our tracks. So it's, like, we felt like we were in a very, like, creative and artistic environment mm-hmm. amongst, like, amongst musicians that we really respect. So, yeah, no, it was a really good experience. I recommend anyone to record with Evan at Big Mama's. I think it's, like, probably the only place that I feel like I could make a record and stay sane. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, did you, did you track piece by piece or did you do like instruments live or how did, how did everything come together? Um, our bass player, Trisha, she tracked bass with Peter Wise, our drummer. And bass and drums tracked together. We, I think we, I think she played through, like, an Ampeg B-15 or something, like, some, like, really old, like, tube amp. And then we we had that in the other room while she was playing it. And she had it in her headphones, and, like, the, our drummer, Pete, had it in his. And we, like, we tracked that live, and then I, we all overdubbed everything else. Um, weird fact about this record that I haven't said in an interview, because I just, haven't thought about it is that a lot of the saxophone tracks are through a pedal board. Oh yeah. And the saxophone has delay thrown on it and like different effects. Mm -hmm. So, um, even though it's because it's like a really dense mix, um, it actually does a lot. If if you like really listen into it, because there's like guitar pedal effects on the sax. Oh yeah. I mean, I bet like we, we we we've done you know just like it sounds like it's just a piano you know but it's got like chorus and it's got you know delay and it's got even um like uh you know i've run it i've run through a pog and stuff you know like oh yeah no it is no joke it is no joke the best thing ever to put instruments that aren't stringed instruments through pedals and i feel like it always sounds so nice yeah 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 it's uh, yeah it's kind of funny how i mean it's like it fundamentally changes other types of instruments in ways that like it yeah doesn't feel like it changes a a guitar you know like when you i think it's just because you know what's like you definitely know what it's going to sound like when you put your guitar through this because you've heard it on other records, you've heard it, you know, whatever. But, yeah, you know, when you're sitting there and it's just like this raw, like, I don't know. I uh, I, I have, like, an yeah. electric violin that I um, play. I those things are great. Somet- I mean, I can't play it. I don't play it. It's, but I use yeah, it. Yeah, I can't play that for <laughs> shit, but they're, they're, they're so great. Yeah, 
it's uh you can just you can have so much fun like i can just sit there and have it going through a pedal board and just making noise on it and doing you know fun stuff but um yeah that's yeah later on i have to send you something that's gonna blow your mind i saw an electric violin with an aluminum neck oh yeah well that it blew my mind like like an aluminum neck violin that's awesome i mean yeah like it's like bringing the screamos bringing screamo into classical yeah for sure um (laughs) did you um like did you have like a lot of now i know there was like a lot of people that that played on the album now i'm i'm not familiar with like your personnel necessarily So, so how many people were like guests on the album and how many people were like the core band like what was that like getting everything together yeah, we're the, the the whole the we are a six piece we are a six piece band and there oh, okay. are, there is a seven there's seven people on the record. Oh okay. and the only other person on the record is Evan who produced it. Um he played guitar on a song or two. Oh, okay. And like just like laid down a solo that we forgot to like a solo or a riff or like just kinda like um like finger picking and it's like stuff that we like forgot to put in that we were like oh should we go back or should like Evan just really quickly put it on oh, okay. um because we have like had a few like stylistic ideas that we just like didn't do and then asked him to do last minute and um yeah no where's the two stand Evan was the only guest oh okay yeah I wasn't sure about that so that so, like, kind of what you hear on the album, I mean, that's what you can expect um, from a show. Yeah, we've been up to 12 members. Oh, wow. What was... Yeah, yeah. We um, we did tours where we've done a tour as an 11-piece. And what was and that configuration we, like? Um, there, was, there was banjo, trombone, trumpet, I think a third guitar, maybe, and... Um, and like that's a yeah, like all that added. Wow, that's that's and awesome. We we had a floor tom person when we first started out for like a couple shows, oh, and um, a person that just did tambourine for a couple shows. But yeah, no, we we've had very rotating lineups, and like this is definitely the um, this is definitely the longest we've had the same one. Definitely feel like the best one we've we've been able to um. We've been able to like stay together as this version as a six piece band for a while, so it feels like it's pretty set and permanent for now. And it's a very um it's a good feeling, yeah. And that was my conversation with Luke Hendricks. Thank you so much, Luke, for taking the time to chat with me. If you noticed a bit in the middle there when I was talking about a band that I went on tour with when I was just out of high school. That band was no fraud. During the conversation, I, of course, was reminded by the fact that my good friend, Walt Rossman, and the drummer of No Fraud and co-owner of Imprint Printing recently passed after a year-long battle with cancer. You'll always be in my heart, Walt. Rest well. 
Until next time, take care and do good.